Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. For those who keep the demands of his covenant, for the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope is in you. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Amen. Thanks, Linda. Who do you trust in? What do you trust? Well, we're in church, and we know the answer is Jesus. That's always the correct answer. And it is the correct answer, absolutely. But I wonder if in your life, if in my life today, if somebody, if you like, to take the bonnet of our life up and have a look at what's going on, is there enough evidence in our life that we actually trust the Lord? Is there enough evidence? I don't know if you've ever seen the old illustration of what it means to trust God, where you get somebody to stand, and somebody stands behind them, and you say, I'll catch you. Well, just watch the screen, because it doesn't always go to plan. Fall, and we're just, it'll be an exercise in building trust between one So, Harrison, if you don't mind going first, uh, step up here on this chair and close your eyes. All right, and then everybody fill in, and we're going to ask you to fall, and then they will catch you. So you have to trust us. I'm going to count to three, just relax and fall, okay? One, two, three. No, wait, no, no! (laughs) Have to credit Danny for sending me that. That was brilliant, wasn't it? But to trust God, we have to know God's character. We have to know what it is God wants to trust us with. 
And we have to know when to lean into him and what that looks like. Well, let's pray as we open this psalm together. Lord, I want to pray that it's the cry of our hearts that we will trust you, that we will lean into your character, into your love, into your mercy, into your grace. Lord, help the words that David wrote really speak into our hearts this morning and encourage us. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. So this morning, we're looking at part of Psalm 25. It's an incredibly beautifully written psalm. In the original Hebrew, it's what's called an acrostic psalm, which means that every verse starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Try writing a poem doing that. It's really, really difficult. And it's incredibly skillfully and beautifully written. Now, as we read through it, you'll see there's rather a lot in there. So we're going to just really stick to the first seven verses this morning. But this psalm is a psalm, it's a prayer, it's a prayer of adoration, a prayer of intent, a prayer um, that starts with the lifting of our inner lives to the Lord. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Now, as David would be praying these words, the ancient posture for prayer would be to hold out your hands like this and pray. You know, we sort of teach children, don't we, put your hands together and close your eyes. Whereas the ancient Hebrew way of praying was to have eyes open and arms outstretched, to give your life and to receive from the Lord. Is that our attitude to the Lord this morning? Do we come to God longing to lift our souls before him? David moves us on. In you, O God, I trust. What does it mean to trust in the Lord? Well, here's some of the verses from around um, different parts of the Bible. I'll just read these out that give us some indication of what trust is about. From Proverbs, those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Not trusting in ourselves, but trusting in God's wisdom. Or from Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. So trusting is about not fearing, not fearing what might happen because we are safe in God. And then this very famous verse from John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Trusting, believing, and not being troubled. But it can be easy, I think, sometimes when we come to God to think that actually trust is about not wanting bad things to happen. And we can think that if we just trust God a bit more, everything will be all right. And that somehow if things aren't all right, that that's a lack of trust. That is not what trust is about in the Bible. Trust is about clinging on to God through all situations. Now, is anyone a fan of roller coasters here? There's Neil, there's Simon, there's, <laughs> there's one or two hands. Now, I used to really like roller coasters when I was younger. I used to like these type, you know, that go upside down and all, do all these weird and wacky things until I went on the big one at Blackpool. And I got sat in it in a rather awkward position. I don't know how I managed it and jarred my back in the process. So now my experience of roller coasters is rather more limited to something <laughs> a bit more like this. But life can be like a roller coaster, can't it? Life can go and we can be thinking that everything's going swimmingly and suddenly we get the huge dip and we're like, where did this come from? Or suddenly we're flung upside down and something happens that takes us by surprise. Or we're plunged underground into darkness, whatever it might be. But life is also like a roller coaster because once you're on a roller coaster, even on the Caterpillar ride, you're not going anywhere. You're strapped in. You're safe. You're secure. 
with God. It doesn't mean that the roller coaster stops, but it means that we know who we're clinging on to. We know who we are with. God is not letting us go anywhere, and that is for eternity. We are safe with him. So David moves us on to thinking about the practical outworkings. Verse 3, no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. No one whose hope is in you. Shame is, is one of the most awful emotions. If, if you feel shamed by something, it, it's a dreadful thing to carry with you. Now, our dog, I'm convinced, feels shame. Here's a picture of her just taken yesterday, looking not, not quite as shameful as sometimes she does, but sometimes if I tell her off, if she's done something bad, if she's eaten something she shouldn't, or she's, I have to raise my voice even slightly at her, she puts her head down. She looks all sorrowful, and if she's very bad, she puts her arm up like this to cover her face in a kind of shamed mannerism. But shame is to be embarrassed, isn't it? To be disappointed in what we've done. To feel that weight of burden. Now, sometimes we are shamed rightly. We've done something wrong. We've not come to God and said sorry. We've not repented of it. We've not said sorry to the person who we've wronged. And then shame is the thing that leads us to conviction, to forgiveness, to repentance. But I don't know about you, but sadly, sometimes in our lives, shame can linger long after we've sought God's forgiveness. And it can be like the residue of sin, the residue of guilt that clings on. And we can end up, if we're not careful, being swallowed up by shame from our past. And we forget God's free gift of forgiveness. There's another type of shame, though. And this is the type of shame that is the kind of feeling when we're mocked. When somebody says something to us that isn't designed to build us up, but is designed to bring us down. And we live in a shaming society. A lot of social media sort of flourishes around shaming people. And we can be shamed for not looking right, for not having the right shaped body, for not wearing the right type of clothes, for not eating the right food, for being either lazy or for overworking. And the danger is for us is we can be both the shamed but we can also be the shamers. We can be the ones who bring shame to others. David's call, the call of the Lord, is to be neither, but to be those whose confidence is in God, that we won't be shamed. It's a beautiful verse in 1 John 4, verse 4, where the, um, the Apostle John says, little children, little children, I love that. He addresses the church, the, the members of the body, as little children. You are from God, and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you. Who is in us if we're followers of Jesus? Well, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself has taken residence in us. Now, in the context of 1 John, the people who have been overcome are the false teachers, those who would teach things different to the true gospel. But in David's psalm, there are enemies, people going after him, people who are trying to bring him down, bringing to shame. Christ has defeated the mockers, the scoffers. They are all taken on and defeated by Christ. Now, I don't know today if you feel any sense of shame that you shouldn't be feeling, whether it's shame about sins that are long past and long forgiven and they're still clinging to you, whether you're being shamed in the public sphere for things that actually are just your, your personality or your character and you're being shamed by them. Can I encourage you today? Can I encourage us to come to God and hear what he would say about us? We are his little children, his treasured possession. 
God loves us, the Son of God who loves us and gave everything for us. David moves us on, verses 4 and 5. The prayer turns to the desire for David to be taught by the Lord. Now, now we're all taught, aren't we? I noticed this morning that Chris wasn't taught maths very well at school. (laughs) 2.5 times 20 is not 2.5 meters, it's 50 centimeters. Sorry, I had to point that out. My maths is so appalling that I have to get one in there to actually say something about my maths. But I remember being taught at school um, history in what is now year seven. And this is the impact of the history lessons that I used to to sit through. Because we had this teacher who his teaching method was to go to the board and to write furiously at high speed. And he would write down, this was ancient history, so it was all about classics and things like that. And he would literally turn his back to the class and he would write. And if, you know, writing was an Olympic sport, he'd have won gold every time. He could write at tremendous speed. It was almost illegible. And then what we would do, we would copy it down. The homework would be to go and read what you'd copied down and learn it. And then every few weeks, he would test us on it to see whether we knew it. Now, I don't know about you, but that was the kind of response that this brought from me. I'd love history, but I didn't love this way of learning. What I find is the most inspiring way of learning is when somebody says, come and explore with me. Come and see what this means. Come and investigate. Come and find out. But we all learn in life. We learn right the way through life. And there are different types of learning. But God wants us to learn. The Lord wants us to be teachable. Now, we learn through the Bible. Absolutely, that is God's revealed word. That is our our measuring line. That is where we work out and find out what God is like. We learn from each other. We learn from our own circumstances and experience. We learn from study being teachable, reading books, listening to things that people have taught for over 2,000 years inspired by the Holy Spirit. But you know, there's another type of learning that's quite different to all those things. And it's this. One writer says, it does not come from the work of reason, the compiling of information, the distillation of general experience. It must come from God. When you get to know somebody for the first time, how do you get to know them? Well, you start talking, don't you? You have conversations. And initially, those conversations are probably where you're from, what do you do, and these kind of things. And then as you get to know somebody a little bit more, those conversations get a bit deeper. And you start to relax in each other's presence. And you start to talk on a deeper and deeper level. And the further you go in those conversations, and the longer you've got to know somebody for, the more comfortable you become. And the more you can just chat and rest in that person's company. I don't know if, if you have this, but I, you know, there are people who I've known for, for decades. And I might not see them for a while, and then I can go and see them. And we've known each other so well that you just relax into that kind of friendship, that kind of conversation. We can only do that when we spend time with people. There's a consistent thread through Scripture about seeking the Lord, about dwelling in his presence, about thirsting and longing after him. Jesus talks about going into a room, shutting the door, and praying to our Heavenly Father, who is unseen. That dwelling with God. And it's as we get to know God, we we find out, we learn about what God is like. We learn that the Scriptures are true. We learn that God's promises are as they say they are. Can I encourage you, can I encourage all of us over this summer, whether you're going away, whether you're staying at home, to just spend some extra time simply in the presence 
of God. Praying, reflecting, meditating on Scripture, learning from Him, seeking the Spirit's presence in our lives. Because when we know God, that's when we start to trust Him more. When we start to experience God at that greater level in our lives, that's when we realize that even if we're on the roller coaster, God is not letting us go anywhere, and we are safe with him for all eternity. Verses 6 and 7, David now deals with what it means to trust God with our past, with our failures, with our sin. Now, Wednesday, I ate my lunch in church, and I just had an apple left to eat. So I was going to the car. I thought, I'll eat it on the way to the car. I picked up some rubbish in one hand, an apple in the other hand, went to the bin, promptly threw the apple in the bin and attempted to eat the rubbish. (laughs) Now, we all make mistakes in life, don't we? Some mistakes like that are just stupid, and you think, oh, that's ridiculous. I've just thrown away my apple, and now I'm hungry. But other times, we make really serious mistakes. We're all broken and flawed human beings. And the writers of Scripture will tell us time and time again just how serious it is when a human being sins, when we make mistakes. It doesn't put just a little gap between us and God. It puts a huge, great chasm that of ourselves we cannot journey over. We also find that it's much easier in life to point the finger at other people's failures than it is to point the finger at our own. It's much easier to say they're doing the things that are wrong rather than actually looking deep in our heart. But here, David looks in his own heart and he realizes that he has to own what has happened, but then he has to seek God's forgiveness. Verse 6, remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. God's mercy, his love, his ancient and fully reliable character. God's fully reliable character. God's saving actions are rooted in his character. God forgives us because he is loving and merciful. God's sacrifice of himself so that we may share in eternal life comes from his heart, his character. Have we grasped, like David does, that to trust God means trusting him with our past, trusting him with our failures, with our shame, turning to him, turning away from those things? David realizes that he needs God's mercy He needs his forgiveness. And he said, do not remember the sins of my youth or my rebellious ways. Now, sin does not stop when you stop being young. I don't know what age you stop being young. It's always 10 years older than you are, I think. But I don't want to go into that. But actually, sometimes when we're younger, I wonder if sin is more experimental. As we get older, sometimes perhaps sin becomes a little more internalized, and it becomes harboring onto attitudes and bitterness. But we become rebels in a different way. David's prayer is, God, please don't look at me through the lens of all those things I've done. Please forgive me. Show mercy to me. See your character in me. You know, when God looks at you, if we're filled with the Spirit, he doesn't see our failure. He doesn't see our past. He sees his Son. He sees us filled with the Spirit. Look at this beautiful verse from 1 Corinthians 3. Do you you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So we're called to ask the Lord to look at us according to Christ who is in us. So back to that initial question, who do we trust? Who do we trust with our present? 
I don't know what you're going through today, whether this summer is proving to be a, a good one so far or a really challenging one. Who do we trust as we're on that roller coaster? Do we trust God who we can cling on to through all things? Who do we trust with our, with our past, with those things that have gone wrong? We know they've gone wrong. Who do we trust to forgive and restore and bring us forward? And who do we trust to guide us into the future? Question for us to take home, to reflect on, to think about. Do we trust him with our today, with our yesterdays, and with our tomorrow? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for for this amazing psalm. We thank you for these words that encourage us to delve deeper into trusting you. And I want to pray whatever situations we face today, whether it's the situations of the present, whether it's anxiety about the future, whether it's things in the past, that, Lord, you will help us to trust you in in a new way. Help us to lift up our souls to you. Help us to seek to dwell in your presence. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.